0: Welcome to the Chesapeake Connect podcast. I'm Tom Hall. Chesapeake Connect is an annual learning trip that brings together leaders from around Baltimore to explore best practices and programs in a peer region. It's organized by the Baltimore Metropolitan Council, the Council of Governments Serving Greater Baltimore. The council has organized trips to Cleveland, New Orleans, and Nashville in recent years. Today on the Chesapeake Connect podcast, we're talking about how government and nonprofit leaders are supporting communities in need during the COVID 19 pandemic. I'm joined by Queen Anne's County Commissioner Jim Moran. Prior to his time as Commissioner, Mr. Moran served on the Queen Anne's County Planning Commission and the Queen Anne's County Economic Development Commission. Commissioner Moran has represented Queen Anne's County on the board of the Baltimore Metropolitan Council since 2016 and he's participated in all three Chesapeake Connect trips. Commissioner Jim Moran, welcome to the Chesapeake Connect podcast. Thank you, and happy to be here. I'm also joined by Franklin Baker. He's the president and CEO of the United Way of Central Maryland. Franklin Baker attended the 2017 Chesapeake Connect trip to Cleveland, Ohio. Franklin Baker, thank you as well for joining us here on the Chesapeake Connect podcast.
1: Glad to be on. Thank you so much.
0: And so, Mr. Baker, let me start with you. Of course, the United Way is a household name throughout the country, Um, but tell us a little bit about what the United Way of Central Maryland is doing specifically here in the Baltimore region.
1: Wonderful question. Uh, For nearly 100 years, uh, United Way of Central Maryland has worked really to increase access to the essentials of life, including health, housing, employment, and education, And we really work hard to ensure the health of all people in the greater Baltimore region. And we promote equity and we break down barriers to accessing these basic needs. In addition to leveraging generous gifts from so many in our community to support dozens of nonprofits who are doing phenomenal work, we also identify gaps in our community. We roll up our sleeves to begin incubating promising best practice solutions. And then we help other nonprofits and groups to build their own capacity to sustain great outcomes over time.
0: And Commissioner Jim Moran, uh, Queen Anne's County, of course, is on the eastern shore, but you represent the county on the Baltimore Metropolitan Council. So other than the Bay Bridge, you know, what do you think connects your county with the Baltimore region?
2: Well, if you know anything about me, you know, the Bay Bridge is is my bane of existence and I will say, do you really need anything else besides that? But with that being <laughs> said, in uh, the 2010 census, some parts of Kent Island and Graysonville from the Bay Bridge to the 5301 split met the population density to be designated as an urbanized area in the Baltimore region by the Census Bureau. So what that meant was this designation gave the by the Census Bureau gave comes up with the requirement under federal law that every urbanized area be included as part of a metropolitan planning organization, an MPO. The Baltimore Regional Transportation Board is the MPO for the Baltimore region, and hence now, uh, Little Queen Anne's County is is a part of that, and, and it's a great privilege uh, to get on the inside and see how things actually uh, get done in these MPOs.
0: Oh, that's terrific. And uh, Franklin Baker, um, take us back to March of 2020. Uh, the governor has just issued his first restrictions. We're at the beginning of the pandemic. What were you thinking at that time? And what were the the first conversations you and your team had as this pandemic began to take hold?
1: Like many of us, uh, Tom, I thought and my team thought, have we ever been here before? Have we ever seen this movie before? Right. Uh, this felt like such an unprecedented uh, situation on a global scale. You know, we were asking ourselves questions like, you know, what does it mean for our daily business operations? Like so many other businesses, how will working remotely in this virtual setting affect our intensive impact work in neighborhoods and working closely with residents? We were thinking, you know, what will be the impact on our staff members? Uh, What will be the impact on many of our small and large businesses that we partner with every day? Uh, will there be sufficient government support to get us through this pandemic? Right. Uh, how do we begin to just sort of adjust our overall business model in light of what's happened? And will it be forever changed? Right. Depending upon the lasting impact of this pandemic. And so we kept thinking, let's really sort of lean into what we have become known for. You know, let's continue to provide what's needed, where it's needed. And we're doing more of this now than ever before.
0: Yeah, And uh, Commissioner Moran, uh you know, as as Franklin Baker says, there were so many unknowns at that time. But as leaders of a local government, what did you and the other commissioners think and do when Governor Hogan began to take, you know, these major steps in response to this emerging pandemic?
2: You know, when it comes to Queen Anne's County, there's there's fifty thousand approximately fifty thousand citizens live in Queen Anne's County and we're known for corn and soybeans and our and our water views. So, you know, when when this pandemic first began we did not feel the impact of the pandemic. Our numbers were extremely low. I mean, in, in one side, we were blessed with the fact that we have spacing here. Just social distancing is something that comes with the amount of area we have here. So that was not something in the beginning that really glared in front of us. Um, what was alarming and what was what was starting to grow as we as the problem progressed. When they closed the schools, then the, the daycares closed. When the daycares closed, now people couldn't go to work, and then the people that couldn't go to work, you had the people staying home to work. It just it, it was a snowball. So we, we basically had to just meet each and every issue one at a time. And the one that we found the most pressing here in Queen Anne's County, a rural county, was the the need for uh, assistance with food and shelter. Uh, more 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 than uh, anything else, the the food was the biggest ones. Our pantries were overwhelmed. Our our services here were overwhelmed. And you know, again, the community steps up, county government steps up, the state steps up, uh, and infused a lot of those uh, organizations with product to help them get out. And you know, to this day, some of these organizations that we are dealing with in Haven Ministries and our community services here and county government, community services, our private side is Haven Ministries, a faith-based organization. And the two of them uh, really took the ball and took con- took control of the situation, organized uh, food drives, organized the drive-through uh, feeding of, of so many people that it, it was truly a, a blessing here in Queen Anne's County.
0: Yeah, and Franklin Baker, uh, the commissioner, you know, makes a point. I think both rural and urban uh, areas had the same challenge of uh, food being uh, top of the list for, for many jurisdictions. One of United Way's central programs is this wonderful two one one helpline that you have. So that it's a service that provides information and resources, referrals to you know health and human service providers. What kind of trends and changes did you see in your two one one calls as this pandemic took hold and continued?
1: You know, it's such a good question. Um, tom because we're seeing cascading needs um, as jim pointed out uh, more people need it and continue to need food with pantries in so many different locations whether it's a church or community center or other location uh, schools more people uh, becoming even more so at risk for eviction uh, from their apartments more students falling behind and needing digital support and just more people calling our 2 one Maryland helpline itself. Uh, just to give you the stats on this, just really baffling in some ways, but not surprising in others. The 2 one Maryland United Way helpline received a record of more than 210,000 calls this past mm. year, which really, interestingly, compares to a little more than 100,000 calls in prior years. So literally a doubling of the call volume just because of the pandemic. And so the 24-7 information and referral service line that becomes a critical resource, right, for those that are trying to navigate systems that are often complex, whether it's housing or COVID-19 concerns, mental health, and so much more. And so the this helpline, it's a confidential helpline, has become a resource for our United Way, and it really has helped us to pinpoint needs and uh, those that are emerging in the communities we serve. And so the, the most, I'd say, frequently reported needs at the beginning of the pandemic were food and also housing. And many of the record number of calls were from people uh, seeking assistance for the very first time in their lives. They had never stood in a food pantry line or never called 2 one before. And so COVID-19 has created this sort of unprecedented need across our region. And we started our efforts last year with the intention to respond to immediate needs and then shift to recovery and rebuilding. And so we're still responding as new needs are identified uh, every day. Uh, But needless to say, Tom, there's a lot of work to be done.
0: Sure. But, you know, it's quite something to think that not only for the providers has this been a very new and unique experience, but for the recipients, for the clients that you're helping out, many of them, as you say, on food lines for the first time, many of them facing housing insecurity for the first time. And that's a particular kind of challenge. And Commissioner Jim Moran in Queen Anne's County and other parts of of, uh, you know, the rural areas of the Eastern Shore, um, you've got limited public transportation. Uh, and I would imagine that a lot of folks uh, are disconnected from service providers. Was that a challenge to you, at the, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic?
2: Yes, it was. And, and that uh, plays right into the hands of our community services uh, and our bus system that we have, our small commuter buses that we have. Because, you know, here we, we are one of only two counties that does not have a full service hospital. So those that are on um, uh, dialysis need to be transported. So, you know, we had to transport people safely, just one person on a bus. So we were we were sending out a bus, you know, uh, to pick up these individuals, to, to get them to their doctor's appointments, to get them to the care that they need. And then you gotta remember Queen Anne's County was the first one to start the MIC unit. So we have a mobile paramedic unit that goes out on a regular basis with, with a nurse to visit those that are, are are in shelter on medication uh, are frequent 911 callers. So we, you know, stepped that program up to make sure that we were taking care of those that in need, so they didn't have to travel. You know, so that was that was a big one. And I, and I will echo what Franklin said. All of the services have seen a you know a 100 increase in demand. And you know, getting back to to the foods one. You know, so what we did here, Haven Ministries teamed up with some other local agencies, and they started, uh, they have two locations where they turned uh, old buildings into stores. And, you know, again, so those people that have never been in a food line, you know, ha- are t- trying to take care of their families. What these establishments did, they, they set an appointment, they come in, they shop, no charge, take the, you know, and give them give them somewhat of dignity to, to, you know, to ask for help, and, and people are more than willing to help them. I mean, just in case in point, again, we have 50,000 residents. We have a backpack pro- program that I started in 2016 for those that are less fortunate to take home from school every day on, on a Friday. They would take home a backpack so they could have food for Saturday and Sunday and bring the backpack Monday. Well, when schools closed, that, that brought in a whole nother problem with those students that were getting uh, subsidies in schools for meals so our backpack program went up to almost 1000 people 1000 students kids a week that we were feeding so it just shows it a magnitude even in a small county that was is an overwhelming number but we got it done so it, you know that's it, the community will pull together in time of need that's for sure and it's 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 refreshing to see that
0: yeah well good for you because those are really really serious challenges and franklin baker um there's no doubt uh, that the need increased exponentially um, the demand was there. How about the supply? Uh, United Way, of course, relies on donors and partners throughout Central Maryland. Um, have they responded to your calls for help during this past year?
1: They really have, uh, Tom. I'm so gratified by the generosity. We we have raised nearly $3 million in our COVID-19 community fund since the onset of the pandemic. Uh, we quickly shifted gears uh, this time last year to really begin to set the fund up and we work with partners to both distribute the funds and also to identify the myriad needs that was throughout the region. As a part of this work, we did participate in funding uh, collaboratives with the COVID-19 funding collaborative of Greater Baltimore as well as HOCO response specifically for Howard County. Uh, These funds that we raised through these two collaboratives have really helped our efforts to provide what's needed where it's needed in such an unprecedented time. We did partner in so many ways. I'll just give you a, a sampling of those. Um, we, we partnered with Pro Bono Counseling Project to offer free mental health support and access to providers to address our, a high increase in mental health-related calls. Uh, we work with Baltimore Digital Equity Coalition and Bite Back to offer tech support. We've never done this before, through our 211 for those in adult education or workforce development programs. Uh, We work with Amazon, you know, with ongoing delivery to neighborhoods in need of food and cleaning supplies and personal care items. We partner with the Baltimore City Mayor's Office of Homeless Services to provide uh, a supply of hotel rooms with uh, those individuals needing supplies for uh, homelessness prevention. Um, And finally, for those that were struggling to remain in their apartments, and there were thousands, uh, we partner with Baltimore County to launch this pilot called Strategic Targeted Eviction Prevention Program, or STEP. And it provides three to nine months of past due rent for those who have lost income uh, due to the pandemic. So we actually were able to move about $4 million in rental assistance to the landlords in support of about 935 Baltimore County households. Uh, The average rental assistance per household was upwards of 4,200 bucks. The STEP program, uh, Tom, it targets vulnerable communities, those with structural poverty, high risk for eviction, they're food insecure. And so we're now working to expand this uh, STEP program into other jurisdictions across Maryland.
0: Yeah, we well, are just expanding so many uh, of the services that you offer. And Commissioner Moran, as you look ahead, you know, now we've got higher and higher rates of vaccination. There are people, uh, you know, lots of folks who are looking forward to having the pandemic kind of in the rear view mirror. What do you think the lasting impacts of the pandemic are going to be for Queen Anne's County. And I wonder, obviously there's a bunch of negative impacts, but do you see any positive impacts on the horizon as well?
2: Well, uh, the glass is always half full, but I will start on the negative side. And I think the biggest thing that, it, that this pandemic exposed in Queen Anne's County and, and really rural Maryland is the broadband connectivity. It, it is a huge problem here. Uh, we have been trying to resolve it for years. And I think this is going to give us the great push to, to, to finally take a bite out of that cake and, and get moving on it. So, you know, that is the biggest one. As far as, uh, you know, the, the positive sides of this, you know, last summer and spring and fall in Queen Anne's County, we were inundated, inundated with people coming to, to the beaches, to our parks and our cross island trails. I mean, it was it was to the point where we had to hire a, a private security service just to manage the, the, the crowds. So... You know, the outdoors, uh, our parks, uh, people wanting to, to enjoy the outdoors, it, it brought new meaning to that and, and to those that use it. So, you know, that was, I think, the biggest positive that came out of that. And, and I think a lot of people just, you know, appreciate their health and they're, they're careful now with, with what they do, wearing their mask and and, and visiting uh, locations and, and doing the same for those that are around them. So, you know, I, I think that that's a, a big plus.
0: Well, you know, I think, Commissioner, you're exactly right that uh, perhaps all of us have a greater appreciation for what we used to think of the little things in life. And Franklin Baker, um, what do you think the lasting impacts of COVID-19 are going to be on the folks that you serve here in Central Maryland?
1: Um, I I would say sort of uh, to piggyback from what Jim said, you know, on the negative side, before the pandemic hit, This is a number that just really strikes me as incredible. 39% of Maryland households were not earning enough to just afford the basic household necessities that we all take for granted, right? Food, housing, transportation, childcare, et cetera. And this is according to our 2020 ALICE report. And those who are listening to this podcast can literally go to our website, uwcm.org, and uh, click on ALICE, and you'll be able to read that. That number, uh, Tom, is undoubtedly higher today. So 39% is a high number. Uh, But we are currently conducting a COVID-19 survey along with United Ways in Maryland to help us get a better sense of the needs in our communities a year since the start of the pandemic. And this confidential survey is uh, currently available. If they go to our website, it's open through April 12th. And the main point of this, it'll help us to sort of identify increased need throughout the state, as well as try to do our best to improve on pinpointing those specific needs. And nearly... Every as- aspect or facet of what makes a community has been impacted by COVID, from the health of residents, to businesses, to the economy, to our educational system, and, and much more. On the positive side, i say we, we stepped up, really, uh, to provide vital services. I think we are impressed by what we were able to do uh, as a community uh, to really address the crucial needs in our community. And our hope is, of course, uh, probably like Jim as well, that we move into the recovery and the rebuilding stages uh, to help people emerge you know from this uh, pandemic in
0: the coming months and uh, you know that alice report i you know i for one I recommend it very highly you know franklin you and i have talked about it on the midday show and i think it's just really important data and important uh, information for folks to have so i recommend folks going to the united way website and checking it out and jim moran um as i said at the top of the pod you have participated in all three of the chesapeake connect trips uh, what are some of the experiences from those trips that stand out for you?
2: Well, uh, I would say in Cleveland, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, again, coming from a rural county to to the big cities like that and, and going to Cleveland, uh, I was truly impressed with the, some of the you know, the rehabilitation program with, with the restaurant. I thought that was fascinating, uh, you know, that how they could work that into their everyday lives. I thought that was great, but I will say that, by far the best trip that I went on was New Orleans. Uh, you know, there was there was a lot there that I thought related to to Baltimore. There was a lot there I thought related to sea level rise and, and climate change uh, when it came to their, how they manage their water, you know, rainwater, uh, you know, stormwater management uh, practices I thought was fascinating, uh, but nothing struck me greater than their school system. How they, you know, the greater New Orleans area went to uh, charter schools, And just the sheer numbers, doubling their graduation rate, doubling their college entrance rate, Uh, you know, if the teachers weren't performing and and sitting down and talking to the teachers and and staff on it. I could have stayed there all day long just because, you know, what they did to to win back the the, the public and to go out into the neighborhoods and basically, you know, connect with the parents and and tell them, look, you know, we we want your, your child in school. And, uh, you know, how they could select any school they wanted to go to inside of that area, you know, the, the greater New Orleans area, they weren't limited just to the street, the school down the street. So it, it, it built a, a great uh, camaraderie, I think, and, and just to sit there and watch some of the classrooms and what went on, I thought it was fascinating. I, and, you know, I thought it was a, a very, very well uh, informed trip and can't complain about the food at all there. So, you know, it's it was a great time.
0: Yeah, you get very few complaints about the food in New Orleans. And Franklin Baker, you went on the trip to Cleveland. Um, all of these Chesapeake Connect trips, uh, the folks that we've talked to here on this podcast have spoken so highly of them uh, because they've, they've picked up so much. What stands out for you about the Chesapeake Connect trip to Cleveland when you went?
1: Yeah, I just first want to just say thanks to uh, Mike Kelly and the entire team at uh, the BNC team for uh, really incredible uh, invitation and I really enjoyed the trip. I, I think overall, I thought the, the trip to Cleveland was, was quite informative. Uh, I probably, just as the old saying, right, uh, you know, pictures are worth a thousand words and, and everyone's perspective is different. And so for me, you know, what stood out was just how similar in many ways the challenges mm-hmm. and also some of the successes uh, the people that presented to us that were happening in Cleveland, uh, how, how similar they were to some of the uh, successes and challenges in greater Baltimore, um, from the challenges uh, that we all are facing here of maintaining just a healthy number of affordable housing units, um, to the the ongoing issue of struggling to make homelessness rare and brief. You when know, I think about the point in time count that we struggle with here in Baltimore City, uh, hovering around three thousand or so every year, it's like the the things that were happening in Cleveland to try to reduce that number it was so good to hear some of their strategies and things like you know trying to ensure that we're able to secure sufficient levels of public and private funding so we can sustain some of the small and medium sized businesses. And that was a particular uh, reflection because of what's happened to a lot of our small and medium sized businesses during the pandemic, right, Um, especially uh, for those who are Ah, uh, led by people of color, right? Uh, we think about equity and the inequalities and the lack of access to some of our businesses who are led by folks uh, who are black and brown. so, so this trip, you know, served as a, a sort of mirror of sorts um, for viewing in a in a in a different way the myriad challenges and the also the same number of opportunities uh, that we happen to face here in Baltimore.
0: I'm glad to hear that. And As I said, we've heard that from so many of the other folks that we've talked to here on the Chesapeake Connect podcast about the, the great benefits of these trips. That's Franklin Baker. He is the president and CEO of the United Way of Central Maryland. Franklin, thanks so much for joining us here on the pod. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for participating.
0: And we we're also happy to have been joined by Queen Anne's County Commissioner, Jim Moran. Commissioner, thank you as well for joining us. I very much appreciate it. Thank you, and you have a great day. And you as well. The Chesapeake Connect podcast is produced by the Baltimore Metropolitan Council with assistance from WYPR. Please subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcasting app that you use to give us a rating if you're so inclined as well. It helps other listeners find out about our show. The Baltimore Metropolitan Council works collaboratively with our region's elected executives to identify mutual interests and develop collaborative strategies, plans, and programs that improve our quality of life and economic vitality. BMC's member jurisdictions include Baltimore City and Anne Arundel, Baltimore, Carroll, Harford, Howard, and Queen Anne's counties. For more information, please visit baltometro.org. Our producer is Mark Gunnery, and on our next episode of the Chesapeake Connect podcast, we'll talk about the future of the Preakness and why it means so much for both Baltimore City and Harford County. It's staying at Pimlico in Baltimore, and that is an important development. My guest will be Delegate Antonio Bridges, who represents Baltimore City in the General Assembly, and Harford County Executive Barry Glassman. Until then, I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for connecting.